everyone. Thanks for checking out this podcast. I hope today's conversation inspires you and builds your faith for the moment you are in right now. Know that God's love for you truly changes everything. Enjoy the message. Jesus was a horrible pastor. At least by uh, the definition that most Christians would use today. Uh, I, I think for, for most in the world today uh, that uh, a, a pastor or a church is evaluated by how many people come, how big the crowd. And by that definition, Jesus was one of the worst pastors ever. Let me show you where in John chapter six, if you have a Bible, let's go ahead and bring all the house lights on up full. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, John chapter six, so that we can follow along, you can look it up uh, in, uh, on the internet as well. If you just put John chapter six into a web browser, those of you who are at home can do it and we will have it on the screen, but it's always good to be able to look at the word of God for yourself and see the progression of what's happening. Uh, make sure I'm not lying to you, right? That you, you have it there. And so here in John chapter six, you find Jesus at, at the pinnacle of his popularity. And at this point, uh, Jesus, everywhere he goes, crowds are following thousands and thousands of people hanging on his every word until one day Jesus says something that is so offensive that thousands turn around and walk away and decide to no longer follow him. Now I want you to imagine being in a church like that. Imagine being in a church where in one day, thousands of people decide to leave. That's pretty discouraging. Yes, for any leader, that would be the most discouraging day ever. In fact, most pastors would probably lose their job. But look at John chapter 6, verse 60. Whatever Jesus said on that particular day was so disturbing that verse 60 says, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Well, apparently, whatever he said did offend them because look at verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Now, come on, doesn't that stir your curiosity? What in the world could Jesus have said that, that was so offensive that thousands of people, almost all of his followers, decided to turn around and follow him no longer? And so here's what happened. At the beginning of this chapter, John chapter 6, Jesus performs an amazing miracle. On this day, Jesus is out in the countryside at the beginning of John chapter 6. You find Jesus out in the countryside teaching. And the people have come from all the villages surrounding to listen to him teach. And at the end of the day, 
The Bible says that there are 5,000 men, and if you add in women and children, it could have been as many as 10,000, maybe even 20,000 people. And at the end of the day, the people have, have gotten hungry, and there is no Tim Hortons, there is no uh, superstore to go and grab some groceries and put it on the MasterCard. And so, so the disciples begin to ask around among the crowd, who has some food that you could donate for us to be able to share with all the people who are hungry? And they find this one little boy. This one boy whose mother has packed him a lunch, he has a little basket with five pieces of bread and two small fish that had come out of the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Tiberias. It went by many names. The lake that Jesus spent most of his time ministering around in northern Israel. And so this boy donates his lunch. And they bring it to Jesus and he says... This will be enough. And he prays a blessing over it. And then after he prays, he breaks the food into pieces and they begin to hand it out and they keep giving and giving. And the more they give, the more there is. And they give and they give until everyone has had their fill. And there's food left over. And the people are amazed. Like, they have never seen anything like this before, right? I mean, they had read the stories in the Old Testament. They knew their history, that in the Old Testament, you know, God had provided manna to the Israelites as they're wandering in the wilderness in the Exodus story. And so they, they knew how God in the Old Testament had provided manna that fell down from heaven, that, that fed massive crowds of people, this kind of food that God provided from heaven. They had seen Jesus do miracles with individuals. They had seen Jesus heal a person and deliver them from sickness over, over here. They, they had seen God bring freedom to people who were in bondage, liberation to people who were oppressed by evil spirits one by one, but on a large scale like this, they had never seen anything like it. And so look at what they all decide in John chapter six, verse 14. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. But the problem is that the, the people's idea of a prophet and Jesus's idea of a prophet were two very different things. Because the people who are saying this, the Jews are living under the domination of the Roman Empire. And so they are longing for their freedom. For generations, they have been praying and dreaming of a prophetic leader who would rise up and lead a, revelation, a revolution uh, to, to overthrow the Romans. And they start to think, hey, maybe this is it. Maybe Jesus is that guy. Look at verse 15. And so Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So these people are just coming to a logical conclusion. They say, well, if Jesus can do this with five or 10,000 people, imagine what he can do against the Roman Empire. 
But while they are plotting to make Jesus king, it says that Jesus slipped out and went off to to a mountain by himself to rest and, and to pray. But the next day, the next day they come and find him again. The next day they, the people come and they seek him out and they're, they're ready for another day of miracles. Come on, Jesus, that food was good. It filled our stomachs yesterday. Jesus, we've come back for another meal. We've come back to see you do amazing things. We're ready for some shock and awe. We're ready for a show. But finally, Jesus says, look, folks, I think it's about time that we get honest about why you are really following me, and it's not for the right reasons. Verse 26, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus said, look, folks, we need to get honest. The reason that you're following me is is not for spiritual reasons. The reason you're following me is because I made your life a little bit easier. I made your life a little bit better. And he continues in verse 27, but do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Jesus said the problem is that we have a tendency to work for food that spoils temporary things rather than the things of God, eternal things. And that really sums up our culture, doesn't it? That so much of what we focus on our lives, our lives upon, even as Christians, look at how we spend our money. Look at how we spend our time. Look at what we we do with our bodies. Look at how we focus most of our lives on the things of the world rather than the things of God. And so the people respond in verse 28. Then they asked him, okay, what must we do to do the work God requires? What do you want us to do, Jesus? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe. To believe in the one he has sent. And somebody from the crowd speaks up and says, well, Jesus, we really want to believe in you, but, 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 but maybe you could do some more miracles. Maybe you could do something to prove it to us, just to, to make it easier for us to believe. Verse 31, verse 31, our ancestors ate manna in the desert. In other words, Jesus, our ancestors got free stuff from God. Why can't you give us more free stuff? Why can't you do more stuff like that? We want to see more miracles. That would definitely convince us. But Jesus refused to play that game. Jesus said, you want bread from heaven, do you? And in verse 33, he says, for the bread of God is this. The bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Do you get the sense that they're talking about two different things here? Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you're talking about, you think you're talking about the same thing and and you're saying one thing and they're saying one thing, but all of a sudden you realize, okay, we're not on the same frequency here. That's what's going on in this conversation. And, And so in verse 35, Jesus makes a huge statement. Verse 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. 
He said, let's, let's get off the, the different frequencies and let's stop talking in metaphor and let me get serious right now. Let me explain to you what's going on. Jesus says, I am that bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now remember, just yesterday, the people loved Jesus, right? They wanted to make him king yesterday, but now things are starting to get tense. Verse 41, at this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Now, now let's stop and talk about what's going on here in this story at this point. Because as the people are, are kind of talking on a different frequency with Jesus, and now all of a sudden he's starting to make it clear, and they're starting to get uncomfortable, they're starting to get upset, what is it that is upsetting them in this conversation? And I think if you go back this week and read through John chapter six for yourself, it's a long chapter, but I think you can do it. If you'll read all the way through John chapter six, I think what you will find is that the people are getting upset over three things. I think number one, they're getting upset because Jesus will not fix their political system. See, just like today, the people believed back then that a fix in politics would be a fix for their problems. See, what they wanted was some kind of Donald Trump to come along and rescue them. They wanted some kind of Joe Biden who would come and, and, and send all that away and make things better for them. They wanted some kind of Justin Trudeau or whoever the next hero claims to be that, that, that culture thinks will finally solve all of our problems. But Jesus frustrated them because Jesus was not interested in that kind of earthly power, even though many times religious people are. See, Jesus was not interested in the conservative party. He was not interested in the liberal party. See, they thought the answer was a political issue, but Jesus said, no, 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 no. Much of what ails society is actually a spiritual issue. And yet many Christians, even to this day, unfortunately think that political power will solve spiritual problems. Come on now. But I'm here to tell you something. The answer is not the church getting more involved in politics. Because believe me, as a pastor, I get that all the time. Where people are upset that I'm not involved in this politic or that politic, or why aren't you speaking up more about this political issue or that issue? And you would think it would be one side or the other, but in churches today, we get blamed by both sides, which usually tells you that you're probably somewhere in the middle, which sounds a lot like Jesus. <laughs> But I'm here to tell you the answer is not the church getting more involved in politics. The answer is getting our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and, per and perfecter of our faith. Because political solutions will never be able to fix that which are fundamentally spiritual issues. Only Jesus can. 
Number two, Jesus would not meet their wants. They wanted bread to fill their stomachs. They wanted something to make their lives easier. They wanted a self-help Jesus, a self-improvement Jesus, but he would not give them what they want. And number three, Jesus would not miraculously prove himself. They wanted more miracles. Now I want you to look at this list. As we put it on the screen, I want you to, to look at this list and think about our culture today. And I want to ask you, do any of these three offenses sound familiar? Is it possible that many people still walk away from Jesus today for these three same reasons? Number one, we want God to fix our political system. People want the church to be more involved in politics, their politics. <laughs> In fact, it's interesting, just kind of a side note, uh, this isn't on the screen or anything we were planning uh, today, but I was just thinking this morning about a conversation that I had in a small group meeting a few weeks ago with Ed Stetzer. Uh, Ed Stetzer is a church researcher and, and leader in, in North America, and, uh, and he said in some of their research, they have determined that, that all of the societal upheaval that has happened in the last year and a half with COVID and the ways that it has affected the church, and everybody knows that, you know, again, for, for both health reasons, it's understandable why many people uh, don't come back to church yet for, for health reasons, but he said that it's, it's more than that, that many people have left and they're not coming back anymore. He said that they believe in North America that 20% of people who would identify themselves with a particular church a year and a half ago today are just gone. They've replaced this, the spiritual community of faith with other things in their life, whether it's uh, sports or, or entertainment or more family time or whatever it is. And then he figures that about 20% of people who they called back row Christians, Ed Stetzer called them. He said, are uh, people who were not really plugged into the life of the church, many of them, he said, are just gone. He said, they've replaced it with other, other things and their intent is not to come back to church as restrictions are loosened. They've just replaced it with other stuff. But here's what I found interesting. I mentioned this in our all church meeting a few weeks ago. He said that they believe that somewhere around 30% of Christians have actually switched churches in the last year and a half. And we asked him, why is that? Why would it be that 30% approximately of, of Christians have actually switched their church affiliation over the last year and a half? And he said, here's what we think. He said, we think it's because people identify more with what they read online in their echo chambers than they do with their spiritual community. And so, they, so he said, we believe that people have switched churches based on masks versus no masks to go to a church that more aligns with that all important issue in society today. To some, he said, he said, people switch churches over vaccine or, or no vaccine or whether their church speaks up about it or doesn't speak up about it. He said, people have switched churches over the last year over social justice issues and, and the concern over the lives of black people in North America and, and, and indigenous rights issues and, and whatever the issue is down through the long list of issues, he said that there's this societal upheaval where people no longer want to be in communities 
that are unlike their online community where they can only read stuff and dialogue about stuff that they already agree with. See, the people were upset with Jesus because he refused to fix their political system, even though that's the primary thing that they wanted from Jesus. And people are still disappointed about that even to this day. How often, number two, do we expect God to meet our wants? People get upset because eventually we find out at first Jesus seems great because self-improvement Jesus, self-help Jesus is what people initially kind of are attracted to. And it seems good, this is going to improve my life and make me happier. But then they discover that's not what the gospel's actually about. And number three, why won't God just prove himself? I prayed for a miracle and it didn't happen. God did not heal my friend, even though I prayed all the right ways for it. God did not heal the person that I love and they died anyway. Why has my prayer not been answered? Now, don't misunderstand. The Bible says, yes, we can pray for those things. I'm not saying we shouldn't. We can and we should pray for those things. But here's the problem. Here's where we get off track. The problem is when we want stuff from Jesus more than we want Jesus himself. You look at so much of Christianity today and it's about the stuff we want from Jesus more than about Jesus himself. And on that day 2,000 years ago, they wanted a change in their system, but Jesus was about a change in their hearts. They wanted bread to eat, but Jesus was about bread from heaven. They wanted proof, but Jesus was about faith. You see, what they wanted was more stuff, but what they needed was more Jesus. Come on now. You see, so often what we want is more stuff, but what we need is more Jesus. And when you wonder, why are my prayers not being answered? Why isn't God giving me what I'm asking for? Here's a thought to consider. What if God isn't giving me what I'm asking for because he wants to give me something even better? See, see the, people, the people thought that their issue was a bread problem. Right? They, they thought, well, what I need, Lord, is, is my life will just be better. What I really need, God, is more, more bread. What I really need is more money. What I really need is the government to do something to, to fix these issues. What I really need is the right person to come along in my life and fulfill my, my romantic notions that have been established by Hallmark and romantic movies that, that make me think that finding that right person is gonna finally fulfill the longings of my heart. But Jesus says, no, the real problem is actually, yes, a heart issue, but it's not something that anything in this world can fulfill. Jesus said, what you need is more me. And that is a message that still offends people to this very day. 
And so there's something going on here that we need to understand. And so why is it that, that Jesus is getting the people so upset over this issue of bread? Why is Jesus so concerned about this one issue that he is willing to lose all of his followers over it? And so let's, let's look at the rest and see what happens here. Remember, here in John 6, the people are still on the brink. They're still kind of on the fence. Jesus can still win them over. If he's nice and kind of tells them what they want to hear, they're probably still willing to come back to him. But verse 48, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Oh, it's starting to get heated here, right? It's starting to get tense. Verse 53, and Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. And people are saying out there in the world, maybe those of you who are online right now and you've never, you, you, you don't know about all this Jesus stuff and you're, you're saying, wow, what is he talking about? That sounds an awful lot like what? It sounds like communion. The Eucharist, right? The Lord's Supper, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. And then we read that familiar verse again, verse 60. On hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? And obviously that's a rhetorical question. Obviously it did offend them because Jesus was saying something that they did not want to hear. And here's what upset them most. When Jesus said in verse 53, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, he said, you have no what? You have no life. You have no life in you. That's what offended them most because that is the core of the gospel. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, throughout all of scripture, the very core of Jesus himself is apart from God, there is no life in us. You remember the Garden of Eden? 
where Adam and Eve sinned and, 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 and death entered the world. Next week, Carlos is going to be uh, teaching on that passage of scripture. Next week is All Nations Sunday. It is gonna be so good. And, and he's gonna be teaching on, on Genesis. And, 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 and in the book of Genesis, when, when Adam and Eve sin, death enters the world. And all the mess and confusion and, and perversion and, and hatred that we see in our world today, the Bible says it all comes from our sin, our messed up human nature. Now, now that's the opposite of what the world says, right? The world says that you are fine just the way you are. The world says the way that you're really going to be happy is if you just finally learn to accept yourself, to love yourself just the way you are, to know that you are perfect just the way you are. Lady Gaga sings, baby, you were born this way. But Jesus says the way that you were born was sinful. See, the, Jesus says, the more we follow our wants and desires and urges and emotions, the more it will lead us away from God. Jesus said that you're not as good as you think you are. Jesus said you are a sinner in need of a savior. And that is offensive. In fact, it was offensive to them 2,000 years ago, and it's offensive to people even to this very day. And so as we continue in this story, Jesus says, here's the good news. There is a solution and the solution is me. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father unless they come from me. And so here's what happened, verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They left Jesus to go back to the world. But the story does have a beautiful ending. I know in this moment, it seems very discouraging. I know in this moment, it's so sad to see all these people who have walked away and no longer want to follow Jesus. But look at what happens next. Because now there is a small little group still standing with Jesus. And in verse 67, Jesus turns to the few people who are left and says, you do not want to leave too, do you? And Jesus asks the 12, you don't want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? <laughs> you have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And folks, that is the question that every person needs to answer. See, apart from Jesus, where else can we go? Apart from Jesus, who else has the words of eternal life? There may be places in this world that you can go that'll give you what you want, 
but there is only one in this world who can give you what you need, and his name is Jesus. And so I just wanna ask if you would close your eyes, even those of you who are right now with us online, whatever you're doing, if you could just put everything else aside and just close your eyes and meditate on this question. How much do you need Jesus today? And why? Do you want Jesus just to make your life better? To make your life easier? Or do you want Jesus because apart from him, there is no life at all? Will you walk away today like the crowd? Or will you press in and surrender to Jesus and be transformed? Heavenly Father, Lord, in this place today, we come from various backgrounds, different ethnicities, different life experiences, some who were raised in church and some who were looking into Jesus for the very first time. And Lord, wherever people are on that journey, Father, I pray that you would meet them right where they are and speak into their heart exactly what they need to hear from your spirit. Lord, for anyone here today who needs to surrender. Maybe as a Christian today, the surrender that needs to be made is to recognize that we've been pursuing a self-help Jesus rather than a full surrender Jesus. Lord, if there are people who are with us right now who today needs to be their day of surrender, to finally decide to follow Jesus instead of walking away to press in and be transformed. Right now in your heart, if that's you, would you just, right now in your heart, say, Father, I confess. Your Holy Spirit has revealed to me today that that I need you. confess and I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me so that I can be forgiven.
and I receive your forgiveness. In the name of Jesus and his blood that was shed for me on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins, I receive your forgiveness today to become a child of God, forgiven and dearly loved. And I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, and everybody say, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about Moncton Wesleyan, we invite you to visit our website at mw.church. We are here to help you with any questions you might have. See you next time.